Welcome to all the Star Trek and Sci-Fi fans out there. Hey there everyone, it's Rico, and this is Treks and Sci-Fi, show number 35 for March the 19th, 2006. Hey, we're going to do another uh, fun Tribble episode from DS9 this week, along with a couple of uh, comments on some recent movies I've seen, and I think it's going to be a lot of fun, so stay tuned. Here we go. In the old days, operations officers wore red, command officers wore gold. And women wore less. And Armada obliterated the triple homeworld. By the end of the 23rd century, they had been eradicated. Okay, again, I'd like to welcome everyone to Treks in Sci-Fi, the podcast about Star Trek, uh, Star Wars sometimes science fiction on TV and in the movies, uh, and um, just uh, fantasy and science fiction talk for the geeks and nerds out there and Trekkies of all types, just like I am. So uh, again, welcome everyone if uh, you're new to the show, or for uh, those that have been listening for a while, also welcome back. Uh, this uh, this week, uh, per uh, suggestion on the forum, and I had it kind of as an idea myself, I thought... Since last week's weekend show, I did a, uh, a look at the TOS uh, Tribble episode, Trouble with Tribbles. The good follow-up, I thought, to that, and was suggested again on the forum, was to look at the DS9 episode that uh, basically sort of centered around that episode also, where they went back in time to that era of Kirk and, and the Tribble episode. Uh, this episode, DS9 episode, is called Trials and Tribulations from uh, Season 5 of DS9, and you know, I was looking back this morning um, again at that episode and, and just, again, was amazed at how well it was done. So it, it's it's really a, a, really a neat little idea that they had, and I think they pulled it off real well. So we'll be getting to that here shortly. Uh, but first, I'd like to talk a little bit about uh, kind of general science fiction uh, television and, and some movie talk. So we're going to get to that next. Our host, Rico, will be right back with more sci-fi goodness on... Treks in sci-fi. Okay, the uh, the first thing I thought I would talk about uh, today on the show, the main topic or uh, first topic I'll get to for now, is um, the new Doctor Who series on that's showing on the Sci-Fi Channel on Friday evenings, at least in the United States. Again, I have to say for all of our uh, international and uh, out of the United States listeners, this show, the Doctor Who series that uh, they're showing now on the Sci-Fi Channel here. Originally, I guess maybe about a year ago or so, was was on the um, in the UK. You know, it's a it's a British made TV show, science fiction show. Well, the, let let's just stop for a second here and go back. The Doctor Who science fiction series or television show has been on you know on and off the air over the years longer than any other science fiction property, movie, TV, anything. It spans you know roughly. Uh, I don't know, three decades, 30 years or so at least or more. Uh, I think that's probably longer than that. I'm not a by any means a Doctor Who expert. I've seen very little of it in the past. And, you know, primarily it, it hasn't really been shown in the United States very much. So that this was a, was a welcome uh, introduction, I think, to, to the show. But it's had, uh, you know, the basic premise of Doctor Who is that the, he's this Time Lord character and... 
throughout the various um, series that they've done with it, the way they get around the situation of the of the character getting older to sort of shake things up, they replace the doctor. He goes through this sort of, um, I think they call it a, like a regeneration type process, and he becomes a uh, sort of a different character. He's still Doctor Who, but in a different body and sort of a, a different personality and so forth. Um, this, this newest uh, Doctor Who, this one that uh, they're playing now, that they did one season for, is pretty good. He's a, he's a younger guy. He's a younger Doctor Who, I think, than some of the other ones they've had. Uh, he's kind of action-oriented. He's sort of humorous and a little kooky. I watched the first two episodes. Um, I'm trying to remember the names of the episodes. One was called Rose because he, the Doctor always has a female companion, basically, that follows him along on his adventures throughout uh, time and space and and her name is Rose and she's uh, of course from uh, England and ends up tagging along with him. The first episode uh, without I'm not going to give too much away on these shows if anyone hasn't seen them yet but it, it dealt with uh, sort of uh, uh, an alien invasion I guess you could kind of say I don't want, I don't want to spoil too much of the episode. And then the next one the doctor when the Rose tags along with him, they go to uh, basically the end of time almost, or the end of time for the Earth, when the Earth and the, and the sun is about to expand into a red giant, and it's that's a pretty interesting episode, too. Um, what did I think of the show? It's interesting. You know, it's it's funny. You know, you watch Stargates, or I watch Stargates and Battlestar Galactica, and, and you know, there, there's some humor in Stargates, and Battlestar is pretty serious, and the, the tones of these shows, these American-made shows, although I think they're really filmed in Canada, but really American actors and the, you know, that there, there's a there's a very different tone to Doctor Who than there is um, to the Stargate and, and science fiction shows that are done in the United States, or at least written and all that. But, you know, the, the British, British shows, I, I'm a Monty Python fan, and, and I, I like a lot of British TV that I've seen uh, over the years. So, there, but there's a different style to it a little bit, and this Doctor Who series kind of reflects that. It's a little uh, more, I guess you could call it campy to some degree. They don't take themselves quite as seriously as we seem to on our shows, especially uh, especially shows these days. But it's kind of refreshing. I, I actually sat down, I, I had it on my uh, TiVo, and I, and I started uh, watching it. And I said to myself, you know, there was a, it was two hours of uh, Doctor Who two episodes, and I said, well, I'll give it a shot, and I will. Uh, you know, maybe I'll watch one one, and then I'll watch another one like another night or whatever. But I was really kind of sucked into the show. I really enjoyed watching it. It was fun. Um, there was a little bit of uh, probably a little more seriousness towards the end of the second episode, I think, uh, talking about the Doctor. I guess he's the, the last one of his race. And, and you know, that whole situation uh, makes him sort of a little bit of a tragic character, I think. But I uh, I really liked it. I thought it was well done. Um, the effects and things and, and what they do in the show isn't quite you know what you're used to. Maybe if you're used to American sci-fi TV and movies, a little, little less maybe of a budget. Although I think they they're they're pretty high budget actually compared to other previous Doctor Who series. So I will definitely be continuing to watch this show. I think uh, there's a lot of good elements in there. I really like the two main characters. I think they're pretty fun and pretty interesting. And I think that's important. You know, you, you have to kind of like the characters on a show to really continue to watch it. At least for me, it's important. It, whether it's a movie or a TV show, I think I, you know, the story's important as well. But if you don't like the characters that you're watching, you really won't be that invested and you won't be that interested in watching it. So, so anyway, anyone who's a sci-fi fan, if you get the sci-fi channel, get you know, check out Doctor Who. It's on uh, 
It's on Friday nights, at least in the States right now. I think they're going to be running. I think there are maybe 13 episodes total for the season, and the DVD set will be out in the summer, July. This um, The interesting thing about this, though, is this doctor, the current one, um, I'm not sure how you pronounce his name. I think his name is Christopher Eccleston. Eccleston. He's, uh, he's not going to be back for the next season. They're doing another season on Doctor Who. Actually, you know, the, the, the thing about Doctor Who is it was gone for several years off uh, British TV, and then the, this was sort of its revival. And I think this Doctor was pretty popular, this actor in the Doctor role, but for some reason he was really only signed up for one season, and they decided to, to get a new one for uh, next season. So we'll see how that goes. I guess we'll eventually see that as well. So Doctor Who, uh, take a look. Okay, the, uh, the next thing I want to talk about briefly uh, before we get to our main Star Trek topic for the week is uh, the new movie V for Vendetta. We saw this, um, my son and I, younger son and I, saw this uh, Friday evening when it opened up uh, here again in the United States at a local really uh, nice theater that we usually go to, and it was yeah, a fair number of people. We didn't go to a real late, late show. We went to like a six o'clock or show on six o'clock show on friday evening when it opened and um i just have to say this this was a great movie i we both really really liked it now there are a lot a lot of comments out there i've been looking at some different forums and people talking about it uh i'm not going to again talk about it too much just want to be kind of brief but i think the uh the main thing i really liked about this movie is, is just the overall you know the message that it's that it's sending out. It, you know to kind of uh, the message of fighting, um, you know, corrupt governments and the against bad establishments. And you know it's set in the future, and there there's sort of this 1984 quality to the film. Uh, there is a fair amount of violence. It's rated R, um, but you know I don't think it was really overblown. If there wasn't, you know, there are different parts in the movie where it gets a little violent, but it's um, I don't think there's there's it's really that strong. I think a, a you know a teenager of, of of a certain level of a maturity would would have no problem in seeing this movie, um, if you if you thought that they were up for it. But anyway, the I think this was was a really really good movie. I think it was very timely in the in this day and age in two thousand and six. You know they they, they kind of spoon feeding people certain messages on the television in the future and. There, there's the one guy V who's who's kind of fighting back against all this situation, and and it's he has his own reasons, but there's more to it than that. And then the character of Natalie Portman in the movie uh, is uh, Evie, yeah, that's her name. She she sort of joins up with him, but I'm not gonna spoil anything really for people. But it's it's definitely a, a message kind of movie, but it does have a lot of action and excitement and drama, and there's some. There's some good stuff in it, uh, really, really good stuff. It's based on a graphic novel uh, that um, has been out for several years, which I haven't read, I, even though I'm into comics and graphic novels. I haven't read this yet, but it did really necess- it it did make me want to go out and, and pick it up and read it because I know there's a lot of background and things in the graphic novel they didn't have time to put in the film. But I just want to say it, it's if you like that kind of storyline and you know fighting the good fight against you know bad bad people. Uh, go definitely check out V for Vendetta. It, to me, it was definitely worth going to the movie theater to see, not to just wait for DVD. I, I really, really liked it. I really did. I, I liked it a lot more than I thought it was going to. I mean, I thought it would be good, but it, it really, it really kind of hit home for me at least. I thought it was uh, very well done. 
the Wachowski brothers, I can never say their name correct, who did the um, the Matrix movies were were the ones that kind of produced this and put it together. And, you know, people, I think, are overdoing their the, the Matrix connection there. This movie is not really like the Matrix, except for the fact that you've got kind of a lone guy kind of fighting back. That that idea has been done in a lot of movies, so there there isn't. I mean, there's a little slow motion kind of effect in here at a couple points, but I mean, it's not. Don't don't get or don't take that as thinking like, well, I didn't really care for the Matrix that much. I won't really want to see V for Vendetta. Completely different movies, completely different uh, styles and stories, and except for the fact that that good uh, sort of thoughtful science fiction films that they both were, I think. That's the that's the only connection, and the fact that these guys worked on it too. So don't overdo that. Uh, I think there that's been sort of uh, people have been calling it, you know, the latest Matrix movie and junk like that, and that's not at all true. I, at least in my opinion, I don't I don't see that. And I, I you know I enjoy the Matrix movies, and, but this is a totally different film, and it's I think there's actually more more to this one in a way, more story, more message than in the Matrix. I think. Uh, the Matrix was was enjoyable, but I, I think this one there's there's more to it, more depth. So anyway, that's uh, V for Vendetta. Go check it out. Now we're gonna go. Um, I'm gonna switch gears real real quick, quick quick click click. Anyway, um, excuse me, getting weird. We're gonna go right into uh, Trials and Tribulations. Now this episode, I want to play the preview for it, and then I'm gonna come back and get into discussing it. We'll just play the preview now. This one's 30 second long. The, um, the DS9 DVDs, and I think uh, Next Generation also, unlike the, the TOS DVDs, they, they don't put the, the previews on the DVDs for some reason, so I have to find them online. So anyway, here's the preview, Trials and Tribulations Season 5 DS9, and then we'll come back and talk. Prepare for an unforgettable hour of television. That's him. Oh, Kirk. An historic encounter between two legendary crews. He's so much more handsome in person. Together in one of Star Trek's most beloved adventures. They are detestable creatures. This. Celebrate an extraordinary event you'll have to see to believe. Too much fun. Next time on Star Trek Deep Space Nine. All right, so there you have DS9, the preview for Trials and Tribulations. This episode was in the early part of Season 5 for DS9. It was first shown on November the 4th, 1996. Yeah, close to my birthday. Anyway, um, this episode, of course, was a sort of an, uh, an homage to the original series, uh, to the episode The Trouble with Tribbles. Now, the episode, again, was was first aired in 1996. And for people who are really up on this stuff, that would have been in the same uh, year and roughly time er- area of, you know, the fall of 1996 was the 30th, the 30th anniversary of TOS, which started in 1966. So uh, 30 years to 1996. So they, you know, they're in the 30th anniversary, the 35th, and we're coming up this year on the 40th anniversary of TOS. They always try to do some kind of special stuff that year, and especially when there was an ongoing Star Trek series, uh, DS9, at the time. By that point in time, uh, the next generation was off the air, so DS9 was the only Star Trek series on. And they decided they wanted to do something um, to connect DS9 to the original series, as a, as a you know you know like I said an homage or um, kind of in celebration of that fact. 
hand. I, I think from what I remember hearing at the time, they, they tossed around several ideas of, of having this sort of dual or connected episode to some episode that they did in the past. And somebody came up with the idea. I don't know who exactly. Um, I don't have a lot of uh, material in front of me on this one. I'm going to do a quick look here on, online and see if I can find out something about where the original idea came from. But anyway, I'll, I'll slide that in later. Um, they did this episode, Trials and Tribulations. Yeah, I just uh, I just quickly looked over the credits online. It looks like Ron Moore, uh, who works on Battlestar Galactica now, was part of uh, writing the teleplay for this. And Ron Moore uh, was a big TOS fan, so he had something to do with that. There was a lot of Rene Echevarra, uh, Ira, Ira Steve Bar Bear. I, I forget how you pronounce his name. A couple other writers on this episode, uh, and a lot of the people on DS Nine, even TNG, were the writing staff. Uh, a lot of these guys were were fans of Star Trek, so. They did this, Trials and Tribulation. Now, the the basic idea of the storyline was it starts out on DS9 where these guys from the, uh, you know, temporal office of Starfleet or whatever show up to question uh, Captain Sisko about their involvement in, in what happened and the fact that the Defiant, along with some of his crew, went back in time and just happened to go back in time to the point of, you know, meeting up with the Enterprise from the 23rd century with Kirk aboard right at the time when they were uh, near... Uh, Station K-7, which, of course, was where the Tribbles were and the Grain and Cyrano Jones and Arn Darvin. Well, they end up picking up uh, uh, the future, older version of Darvin, although they don't realize that uh, they pick him up on the Defiant, and there's an orb involved that allows them to go back in time and so forth and so on. So that's that, that's the basic premise. And, the, you know, the thing that's going on overall in the, over, in the, overall in the story is that Darwin has been sort of, uh, since Kirk exposed him as this disguised Klingon in the past, he's been kind of plotting his revenge against Kirk and the Enterprise for years and years, and he discovers this this what this orb can do. He can go back in time, and he, he tries to basically blow up the station, blow up Kirk and everything, and, and of course that's stopped by DS9 crew. So, so there's the storyline. Uh, now we're going to go through uh, some of the audio. The first thing I want to play is just... Um, this one's, uh, yeah, it's a pretty short clip, I guess. This is when the um, the Defiant first ends up going back in time to, uh, and they, they first see the uh, en- Enterprise, the original Enterprise, uh, with Kirk in command. So this is on the Defiant and their reactions to what they see. So listen to this. What happened? I don't know, but we've dropped out of warp. Sensors are coming back online. Benjamin, something's very wrong. According to the navigational computer, we're over 200 light years from our last position. We're decloaking. Someone's activated the transporter. Deactivated and got us back on the cloak. I'm picking up another ship, dead ahead. Can you identify it? Not yet, but it's close. Very close. Chief, I need that view screen. I think I've got it. The Enterprise. Yep, that's the the Enterprise out there, the original. Uh, it's um, it's pretty interesting how, you know, they've done a couple of these stories throughout the various Star Trek series where they end up somehow connected to the original crew or something comes up, and you know that that crew turns out to be in Starfleet history, Kirk and their crew. And the Enterprise, very famous uh, for a lot of reasons. You know, they, they had first contact with a lot of aliens that uh, had never been seen before. 
they were the first starship to come and complete their five-year mission. You know that that opening uh, dialogue with Kirk for the original series. Well, in, in history, that they, they were the you know Kirk's crew was the first starship to survive a five-year mission out in space and come back, you know, basically intact still. So, you know, they become very famous, and you know the crew of the Defiant there and Cisco and everyone they recognize the ship. They you know they see us. Uh, an old uh, Constitution class starship, but they they know the number NCC one seven zero one and all that. So anyway, this uh, <laughs> they then of course decide well they got to find this Darwin guy, although they don't realize it's Darwin I think at the time, and they decide this sort of uh, try to blend in to to that timeline. Um, but first we're going to play the clip. Yeah, this is the point where they uh, they discover who the guy is, the older guy that they picked up with. Because he beams over, and they do some searching through the uh, through the records, through the computer, and they discover about Darwin. So let's play this clip first. Be specific, Captain. Which Enterprise? There have been five. Six. This was the first Enterprise. Constitution class. His ship. James T. Kirk. The one and only. 17 separate temporal violations, the biggest file on record. Man was a menace. What was the date of your arrival? Stardate 4523.7. And in five years, one month, 12 days ago. A Friday. What was the Enterprise doing? She was orbiting one of the old deep space stations, K7, near the Klingon border. Security reported that just before we were thrown back in time, someone stunned the deputy who was guarding the orb and broke into the cabin. It didn't take us long to realize who it was. His real name is Arn Darwin. He's a Klingon altar to look human. Surgeon does nice work. We're assuming that he came aboard the Defiant for the express purpose of gaining access to the orb. Any idea why he brought us back to this point in time? We have a theory. This is Darwin as he appeared during that time period. At this moment, he is aboard space station K-7, posing as a Federation official. So you're saying he's a spy? The younger Darwin's mission was to derail Federation colonization efforts by poisoning a shipment of grain which was... which is stored aboard the station. However, 18 hours from now, James Kirk will expose him and he will be arrested. Yeah, so they uh, they discover, you know, this is Darwin, what he's after. Uh, they, they, they go through the records again also and find out that, you know, Darwin had really been disgraced with what happened with this incident in, in the original Tribbles episode when Kirk exposed him as a Klingon spy and agent. And it it really uh, basically destroyed his life. So he's he's plotted his revenge against Kirk uh, for many years and, and manages to, to uh, get himself back in time in order to uh, uh, ends up uh, wanting to blow up the station with Kirk aboard, of course. So... The way they want to deal with this, they have uh, the Enterprise and, the, and K7 out there, and Cisco decides that you know they split up the the crew, but they need to blend into that era. And here's where we get into the real fun of the episode. You know, they they're interspersing in, in this episode clips from the original uh, Trouble with Tribbles, along with some new footage that they created. Some of it uh, with computers, some of the graphics of the ship flying around the Enterprise, and but what they can't really create is all the props and the old TOS-style uh, uniforms, the, you know, the tricorders, and it's it's really fun to see uh, 
see all the the DS9 people and crew end up in uh, in these old style uniforms. And the funny uh, there's a, there's a couple lines here. I'm going to play a clip here in a second about it uh, about the different look and the colors that they use. The um, the another neat thing that they've done uh, they've done some uh, action figures in uh, a couple of different lines. Playmates I think a few years did some, and now Art Asylum has put some out where. Uh, they have the DS9 crew in in those uh, those uniforms, and it's uh, it always really uh, it looks cool. I mean, I I don't know. I just always like the TOS look and style of props and uniforms. And this clip that I'm going to play for you, uh, there's a couple of them here with Dax because you know Dax has as a trill, and she was actually around in this era, lived through it in different hosts, and so she she has sort of a fondness for this time too. And it comes out in a few of the audio clips I'm going to play for you. The first one is after they first get into these new uniforms so they can blend into and search for Darwin on the on K7 on the Enterprise. So I'll play that clip for you uh, now. Looks good in you, sir. Thank you, Ensign. Wait a minute, aren't you two wearing the wrong color? Don't you know anything about this period in time? I'm a doctor, not an historian. In the old days, operations officers wore red, command officers wore gold. And women wore less. I think I'm going to like history. Yeah, that uh, that scene there where uh, Dak shows up in the red uh, short to short uniform of the TOS era is pretty pretty cool. They um, they gave her the little sort of beehive hairdo also, and it's it's really neat. They you know they all have tricorders, communicators from that time. It's uh, it's fun how they get to blend in and and sort of. Uh, explore the old enterprise so uh there's another clip here that sort of is a good follow-up to that one where dax they're uh you know they're aboard the enterprise her and cisco and they're searching the ship for darvin and dax is using a an old style tricorder to uh to try to find him and this uh this clip i like because she's talking about the tricorder and how much she likes uh the way it looks so i'll play that for you now you scan for darvin I used to have one of these. Mm. I love classic 23rd century design. Black finish, silver highlights. Nice. Sorry. Yeah, I uh, I agree with you, Dax. I like the, the original uh, 23rd century design for those items as well. The, um, you know, this story... It's just uh, it's just really a lot of fun to see the the you know the different sets, the uniforms, the equipment, and they they you know they they created a, a nice little plot line with Darwin. I mean, it kind of makes sense. I mean, he he really got you know his life got destroyed by Kirk, and he's out for revenge. And what better way to do it than to go back in time and and go after him at the same point in time where where he first um, arrested Darwin and d- exposed him. Because you know when you when you think about it, he had to go back in time to a point where he knew Kirk, where he knew Kirk would be, and what he would be doing. So he would he'd had knowledge of that. And, and except for this around this episode, uh, the trouble with Tribbles, you know, Darwin never really had much contact with Kirk beyond that, of course. So that was a logical point for him to go back and, and do something. And they do a really really good job of intercutting the 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 new. Uh, you know the new video with the old, the, the coloring, the lighting—they really cleaned up. I noticed since I just looked at uh, Tribbles, the original episode last week, 
the clips they throw into this episode, they really cleaned up the prints uh, really, really well. And the little bits that they show of those to try to make them match, you know, current uh, the video look of DS9, you know, so that you don't see this like, you know, grainy old footage interspersed with, you know, fresh, clean DS9 uh, type filming. And they did a great, great job. And there, you know, there are scenes where they're in the background and Kirk and Spock walk in front of them and things like that, and they, they do a nice job. Now, the next one, um, of course, everyone knows that the Klingons and Tribbles don't like each other, and the, n- the next clip is talks about that a little bit and, and Worf's reaction when uh, he and, uh, and Odo are on DS... Uh, not DS9, sorry. They're on uh, K7 looking for Darvin, and Odo's in the bar with their... You know, of course, there's Tribbles around, and... Worf's uh, reaction and discussion about what happens to the Tribbles and what happened to them is is pretty interesting. So listen to this. Where did you get that thing? From a man named Cyrano Jones. He told me Tribbles like everyone. This one doesn't seem to like you. The feelings... Feelings mutual. They are detestable creatures. Hmm. Interesting. It's been my observation that most humanoids love soft, furry animals, especially if they make pleasing sounds. They do nothing but consume food and breed. If you feed that thing more than the smallest morsel, in a few hours you'll have ten triples, then a hundred, then a thousand. Calm down. They were once considered mortal enemies of the Klingon Empire. This? A mortal enemy of the Empire? They were an ecological menace, a plague to be wiped out. Wiped out? What are you saying? Hundreds of warriors were sent to track them down throughout the galaxy. An armada obliterated the triple homeworld. By the end of the 23rd century, they had been eradicated. Hmm. Another glorious chapter of Klingon history. Tell me, did they still sing songs of the great triple hunt? <laughs> oh, oh. So you can uh, you can hear there from uh, Worf's reaction in in history that uh, you know remember at the end of the Tribble the Trouble with Tribbles episode that Scotty beams all those triples aboard the Klingon uh, the Klingon the ship out there uh, that Koloth was on and of course you kind of assumed that somehow the Klingons and, and the Tribbles didn't get along and maybe the Tribbles made it back to some of the Klingon uh, homeworlds so you know Worf goes into this whole big description of how they were sent out Klingon warriors were sent out to, to hunt down the Tribble menace and it, it's pretty funny actually but and then you know Worf says they they drove the the Tribbles and destroyed their home world and drove the the Tribbles to extinction um but there's a little twist at the end of uh twist at the end of this episode of Trials and Tribulations that sort of changes that a little bit so we'll get to that in a few minutes the next uh the next little area that um there's a nice little clip with Cisco and Dex working on a control panel and still searching for Darvin, uh, and then Kirk and Spock walk by, and there's a nice little exchange here with um, Dex talking about um, Kirk and Spock. So listen to this. I had no idea. What? He's so much more handsome in person. Those eyes. Kirk had quite the reputation as a ladies' man. Uh, not him. Spock. That's cool. Mr. Varus, I have guards around the grain. 
I have guards around the Klingons. I can't believe you don't at least want to meet Captain Kirk. That's the last thing on my mind. Oh, come on, Benjamin. Are you telling me you're not the tiniest bit interested in meeting one of the most famous men in Starfleet history? We have a job to do. But it's, it's James Kirk. Look, of course I want to meet him. I'd like to shake his hand, ask him about fighting the Gorn on Cestus III. But that's not why we're here, old man. Yeah, that's uh that's a good scene. You know, they Dax there, you know, first uh, Cisco thinks she's she's kind of ooing and eyeing over over Kirk and of course it's Spock that she's uh she's kind of interested in there. Uh, that's uh that's kind of fun. Terry Terry Farrell I always liked as as Dax. I thought especially in the later seasons, she kind of loosened up a little bit more and was was a little more fun. Uh she was fairly serious and I think uh you know, she was um her acting experience she had some acting experience before deep space nine but this was really her big big first major real big role i think she had one other series prior to this but uh i think she really grew um as an actress throughout the the ds9 run and here we're in season five and uh this uh this really shows i think in this episode and in a lot of the later ones you know she ends up getting married to Worf, and a lot of things happen there and things like that so um she has a lot of fun with with this uh, this particular show, I think, with the old uniforms and everything that's going on. So, and I, it's uh, it's interesting because at the end of the episode, you know, she's talking to Cisco there about, you know, don't you want to meet Captain Kirk? Don't you want to meet one of the famous, most famous captains in Starfleet history? And he's kind of well, no, you know, we we got other stuff we got to do, but you know, there's a scene at the end that he ends up on the bridge where he actually. Uh, kind of has a real quick meeting with Kirk that they did a, a good job with and I don't think I saved a clip of that situation so I thought I'd just mention it. Let's go on. There's a there's another clip I wanted to play that there's the whole scene or the whole situation in this about the Klingons and the way they look and there's a there's a good scene in the bar where the some of the DS9 crew is there and they find out that some of these other guys in the bar are Klingons. You know, they're from that, that time frame of the 23rd century, but they don't look really that, they don't look like Worf. They don't look like the Klingons they're used to. And Worf is to kind of try to explain what the situation is with that. And I talked about that, I think, last week and a couple other times on the podcast about, you know, that the Klingons had changed their appearance over the years through a, uh, some genetic engineering. So we'll listen to uh, Worf's uh, explanation of that now. Klingons. Klingons? Over there? And over there. Those are Klingons? All right. You boys have had enough. Mr. War? They are Klingons. And it is a long story. What happened? Some kind of genetic engineering? A viral mutation? We do not discuss it with outsiders. Yeah, that's right. And uh, until actually the couple of uh, episodes of the from the series Enterprise, where they explain what happened, and I think that was the during the fourth season of Enterprise. Yeah, they had a couple of episodes where they explained how that happened with the the Klingons. The funny kind of thing about that is when you think about it. I, I mean, they're doing it for the sake of the audience, but you would think something that dramatic, especially with a, a species like the Klingons, that the Federation had so many years and years of dealings with it that these guys would know about that situation. You know, they may not know the exact details, but they'd at least know that 
there was a period of time where Klingons did not look like the Klingons that they were used to now, you know, that they looked a lot more human in appearance. You'd think they'd realize and know that, uh, especially since they know a lot of things of the, you know, that happened in that era in the 23rd century anyway. You know, I can just see a, you know, there's a class at Starfleet Academy about Klingons and, and all their history and what, do they just sort of leave out that, that period of 50 or 100 years there? I don't know. It's kind of a, kind of a little um, oversight maybe. But anyway, uh, let's go on. There's another, um, they started to have to search the DS9, not DS9, I keep doing that, K7 and the Enterprise for uh, this bomb. Darwin's planted a bomb. And Dax and Cisco end up on the bridge of the Enterprise and they're using the computer up there to to search the, the ship. And there's a scene where McCoy pops up on the bridge and Kirk and McCoy are talking about the Tribble still. And Dax just talks about McCoy. And I thought this was a, a nice little clip here. So let's play that. Leonard McCoy. I met him when he was a student at Old Miss. Who met him, Curzon? No. My host at the time was Emily. She was on Earth judging a gymnastics competition. I had a feeling he'd become a doctor. He had the hands of a surgeon. I've scanned every deck. The bomb's not aboard the ship. Then it must be somewhere on K-7. Okay, so the um, the situation then is they, they, they're looking for this... Darwin's made a uh, triple bomb. He, somehow he's taken a triple or a, a bomb and disguised it as a triple or put a bomb inside of a triple. I don't know exactly how that all worked, but Dax and Cisco end up in that storage compartment with the grain and the triple searching it to find the bomb while of course that's the that's the same storage compartment that kirk ends up opening up and all the tribbles fall on him and all that situation which is kind of funny because when i was watching that you know remember i mentioned i think last week where all these little tribbles keep falling out on kirk as he's sitting there well they're the neat little thing they threw in this episode is that dax and cisco they're they're scanning with tricorders these tribbles and as they're doing it they're kind of tossing them behind them and a lot of them are getting tossed right through that hole and falling on kirk Neat little, you know, a real subtle little thing, but, you know, they, they, it was neat that they slid that into the episode to try to make the two things mesh up. So let's play uh, that clip for you when uh, they're looking for the bomb and discover the bomb inside the, uh, the Tribble. Cisco to Defiant. Go ahead, Captain. I found the bomb. Lock into my tricorder signal and beam it into space. Acknowledged. Cisco. It worked. And as captain, I want two things done. First, find Cyrano Jones. And second... Close that door. After the bomb was detonated, history continued uninterrupted. And thanks to the Tribbles, Kirk was able to uncover the truth about Darwin. Yep, so they were able to... Uh, they got Darwin, they captured him back... They got the bomb off, beamed it out into space, and everything's good. So um, the little temporal uh, investigator guys leave DS9, thinking everything's kind of settled. You know, Cisco kind of admits to them that he, even though they had sort of solved the whole situation, he had to sort of slip back up on the bridge of the Enterprise 
he ends up meeting Kirk, and they intersplice that with a uh, just a. Uh, it was actually from the episode Mirror Mirror they used where um, Lieutenant Marlena Moreau ends up. You know, in the original universe. If this gets confusing, I'm sorry, but they took that clip from Mirror Mirror where where Kirk's like, uh, you know, Lieutenant Lieutenant. Uh, because he doesn't recognize her, but they they threw Cisco in there, and it works works real well because it's like he doesn't recognize Cisco, and he says he's just there on temporary assignment, and it was an honor to serve with you, Kirk, and all. I didn't catch that clip or grab that one because I was starting to grab you know more and more of the episodes. So <laughs> anyway, uh, trials and tribulations, a lot of fun. Uh, season five, uh, it, th- there's a nice little feature on the DVD set if you get season five of uh, DS- Deep Space Nine. There's sort of a behind-the-scenes and, and look at how they did the episode. Uh, it's on the bonus, the last disc uh, that comes with the set, and it gives you some some cool little insights to how they, they put it all together. And uh, So that uh, if you pick up the set, that's, that's something to look forward to. I'm going to play one last little clip, then I'll be, it'll be a sort of a little break time. I'm going to come back and talk about a, a collectible and uh, some word on the uh, contest. So uh, uh, this is uh, a clip near the end. What they ended up not telling the temporal investigator guys is they um, either, I guess, intentionally or maybe accidentally. They don't really say for sure. But the end of this episode, there are all these triples on the promenade and in Quark's bar. Uh, that are, um, how should we say now, multiplying and breeding all over Deep Space Nine. Because you remember in the clip that Worf talks about how they'd wiped out the Tribbles? Well, I guess the Tribbles are back, and now they're all over Deep Space Nine. So I'm going to play this. There's not a lot of dialogue here, so I wanted to kind of explain that situation. Uh, But there's a a cool little thing where Quark's got a Tribble sitting on top of his uh, big Ferengi head, and they're all over the floor and everything. They really did. They really spent a lot of money and went all out in this episode. I mean, they had to create all the uniforms, some sets, the tribbles, of course, uh, some effects. And they, they, I think I remember hearing they, they, what they did a lot of times on, on Star Trek throughout the various series is they would kind of go all out or all in, in a way, if you use a poker term. And they would spend a lot on one or two episodes, and then they would have a few that they had to really keep a, a tighter budget on. And this this was definitely the biggest, uh, most expensive episode of Season 5, I think, for them. So let's uh, play the ending clip, and then I'll be right back. The constable wants to see us on the promenade. Did you tell them? You didn't ask. I'm open to suggestions, people. We could build another station. Okay, well, I hope everyone enjoyed the, the look back at uh, the DS9 Season 5 episode, Trials and Tribulations. You know, I really, really liked the fact that they did that. Uh, you know, they started to do that a lot in, in a way, they did that in the fourth season of Enterprise, Star Trek Enterprise, where they kind of touched upon some, touched upon some, Vulcan, you know, episode they did like a three-part, I think, one about Vulcan and Ponfar was involved in that and a lot of other things. Um, 
they uh, they did the a lot of work within Dorian's and their background. Some things um, about the Klingons, of course, like I talked about already. But it's uh, it's always fun when they they kind of keep the whole Star Trek lore and history tied together, and and try to work on um, you know making things um, connect. So uh, so anyway, that um, that was a real. Um, real good thing and and i really really liked watching uh those episodes again i think uh they're they're some of the the most fun that they did in in ds9 uh, shows so that's um trials and tribulations i just love sci-fi collectibles here's rico now with the latest in cool props and toys now i'm going to talk about uh a new collectible something i just recently got this past week um but i want to talk about the contest now remember everyone the uh the contest was supposed to be for this week to win a Star Trek Three DVD, you were supposed to send your uh, sort of audio clip or impression of a Star Trek character from any of the series, TV shows, movies, I guess, whatever. I only have had a couple entries so far. I don't know if it's been a busier week. I, I was hoping for more. So um, I think what I'm going to do, I hope this doesn't disappoint the ones that have sent the entry. Don't worry, you're still in the contest, um, and your odds are still really good. But I, I'm going to extend the contest for one more week. So you've got one more week. Anyone who hasn't sent an audio entry uh, of you um, imitating in a way, uh, whether it's humorous, whether you're really trying to do the voice of a particular character, like Yoda or something, you know. But that would be Star Wars, of course. So, um, But send in your entry, and we will uh, we'll review. I will definitely end the contest next weekend. Send your entry again, uh, the audio MP3 file to treksf at gmail.com. Or again, you could call the voicemail line 20688-TREKS and send the audios to me, and I will play those on next week's show. And we will, uh, again, randomly, it's just going to be a random selection for the ones that do enter the contest of who wins the uh, Star Trek 3 DVD. So send those in, and we will do the contest. Um, sort of play the audio and pick the winner next week on next week's uh, Treks and Sci-Fi show. Now, for uh, for this week's collectible, nothing, uh, it's not a Star Trek-related item. It is uh, from the TV show Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I just got this this week, and I, I really, really like it, so I thought I'd talk about it on this week's podcast it is from the last season of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, if you're familiar with that. It is called the Slayer Scythe, S-C-Y-T-H-E. It is basically that, that weird, cool, kind of odd-looking axe that Buffy ends up getting in Season 7 to sort of uh, uh, slay with. I mean, it, it's hard to explain unless you are into Buffy and you know the, those episodes, but there's a lot going on in the last uh, final season of Buffy, and she ends up getting this weapon that is is very powerful and really um, kicks butt, I guess is basically the way to put it. Uh, there are a lot more vampires that show up in the season finale, and you know she needs a better way to get rid of them, and she gets this thing called a Slayer Scythe. There's a company called Factory X that just is now uh, releasing this item. I've had, uh, had my eye on it. I heard they were going to do this for quite a while, and it's... Um, it's it's a metal kind of axe-like thing with a sort of a curve-shaped blade. It, it's not really sharp or anything like that. It's not super sharp, the replica at least. But it's made by Factory X, and it looks very good. I've seen some uh, some still shots from 
the episode in comparison to the replica, and it, they did a great job with it. It's uh, it's made mainly of metal. It's not plastic, uh, although there are a couple tiny pieces of plastic components, I guess, on it. It has sort of a wooden stake at one end of it. Um, that's also, again, you know, not super sharp or anything like that. So it's not like you can really, uh, um, you know, hurt yourself by accident or whatever with this thing. But it comes with a little sort of round black uh, holder that you can hang on the wall, and that's the way I have mine displayed. I'm going to put some pictures up on the collection and in the podcast notes so you can take a look. Uh, it's got a sort of a red uh, and then a chromed uh, blade on, on the end. And then it's got a, a metal uh, sort of riveted shape uh, rod that, that runs through it and a leather kind of gripped area. And then the, the stake kind of on one end. It, it's easier, you know, better to look at the pictures than me really describing it. I'll take, like I said, put some up. But it's it's really, really neat. And it's um, they're, I think they're showing up on eBay. People are selling them on there. They're... Um, you can also look at the Factory X um, website. I'll link that up also in the podcast notes. I think they, they're not actually selling them there yet on their website. But I think uh, there are some stores, a couple of uh, different online stores you can buy them, again, like I said, or eBay. But it's uh, if you're into Buffy, this is this is a very cool collectible. It's quite heavy, actually, to, to lift it up. It's done on a one-to-one scale. It's, it's, it's a, a one-to-one scaled match to the, uh, the prop that was used on the show. And they did they did a really nice job with it. The the red paint job on the the blade portion is pretty good. It, it could have been just a tiny bit better. I think uh, depending on the lighting, it looks better than others. I think the the color is just a little. I think the the color on the one on the show was a little different. It's very hard, you know, when you look at these things because unless you have them actually physically in your hand, side by side, photography both on, uh, in a TV show or whether you take a still photograph can make things the colors of things look very different depending on the lighting and 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 that so it's it's a little misleading but i I still think they did a great job with this the holder that hangs on the wall is is nice and it's uh, a nice way to display it uh it's probably the way with with a weapon type item like this like a if you got a sword uh uh, or you've got this thing, or I have a, a staff of, you know, one of Gandalf the White staffs from the Lord of the Rings movie. That comes with a nice little handle for the wall. But it's uh, it's a cool item. So Buffy, they, they, Factory X has done a few items for for Buffy so far. They've done the Slayer stake, which I have. They did an orb, I think I've talked about before. And now this. They have a few other things coming out. They have a little vampire book which um, is sort of like a, a hollowed-out book. You can put things inside of it. They've got that out now, I think. So that's uh, that's this week's collectible. The uh, Along that line, though, what I'm, uh, I'm going to do for next weekend's show, I thought I'm going to do something a little bit different, and I hope uh, people are into this and, and it doesn't disappoint uh, that I'm not going to be talking about a Star Trek episode for one of the podcasts, but... I'm going to spend next uh, next weekend's show. I'm going to talk. It's going to be basically an all collectible uh, um, type podcast. I'm going to talk about some some collectibles in, in general, um, my opinions about what's out there these days, what used to be out there, uh, what things to look for, maybe some ways to bargain hunt and find things. And it'll be basically all about collectibles. I'll talk about a few pieces in my collection that I haven't talked about yet and maybe point out a few things people didn't know about, give you some links to, to some websites. But I, I've been, uh, you know, the collectible portion of this podcast always is sort of slid on the end of the show, and uh, I've been wanting for a while to do uh, a particular, you know, a podcast all about collectible and collecting. 
And I thought that would be kind of fun. So for next weekend's show, that's what I'm going to do. I'll still have probably a midweek show up this week where I'll talk about some emails and some other topics and uh, in that. So look for that around Wednesday or so this this coming week. But next weekend uh, will be a uh, collectible, uh, primarily collectible show. There won't be a, a particular Star Trek episode that I'll be looking at. So that'll be probably like show 37 by then. And that's... Uh, that's about it. I think I'm going to get out of here. My kids are dying to get down to the basement. You know, when I do these podcasts, they uh, they're cut off from their video games and things. So I, they've been they keep coming down. Are you done with? Are you done with recording, Dad? Are you done? Are you done? So uh, I, I got to finish this up and and start doing editing and that. And I usually try to do the show when they're not actually playing games or watching TV down here. So it's uh, a little quieter and a little simpler for me to do it that way. But I am going to sign off now, so I hope everyone has a great week coming up. Go see V for Vendetta. I I, I really, really uh, can't say enough of good things about that movie. And, you know, in a way, it's not really a truly science fiction film. I mean, it's set in the future a little bit, but it's it's just a really well-done film. I I think it definitely deserves some attention. And for me, even people that aren't aren't really heavy into sci-fi, if you've got some, you know, friends, family members that just want to see a kind of a good, meaningful movie, take them. You know, just I, I think they'll definitely enjoy it. So, uh, so that's about it. Everyone have a great week, uh, and you know, shoot me an email, treksf at gmail dot com. If you got any comments about the show, toss a vote at Podcast Alley if you could. Uh, you can get a link to that off the podcast notes section on the website, treksf dot com or treksinsci-fi dot com. And that's about it. Uh, that's about all. So, everyone have a good week. I'll talk to you guys uh, next time. Bye bye. This has been a Rick Dosti production. This podcast, copyright 2006, all rights reserved.